this morning, I want to give you four reasons, four reasons we should all love Christ church. I want to give you four reasons we should all love Christ church today because I believe these four reasons will help us to honor God and joyfully learn to live as Christ's body on earth. There is a church that is doing this perfectly. There's a church that is honoring God and joyfully celebrating God's grace without flaw, without any sinful imperfection. And that church is in heaven, the saints that are there before us. But God's will in heaven should also be manifest on the earth through our gathering, through the local church. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. So it's just going to be sort of like a study about why we should love the church this morning. And it's going to feel like a study in many ways. But I pray that this, the, the sermon aspect of the message this morning will cause us to reflect on how we need to be living as we seek to love Christ's church. We should love the church, number one, because the church is built by God the Son on the earth. On the earth. Jesus, who is God the Son, Jesus himself came to the earth to create his church. We need to think about this. Focus on this for, for a moment this morning. It's through the church that the Bible teaches us that God's glory and his power and his love and grace are all seen on the earth. Those things are already visible in heaven. Fully visible to all the saints that are gathered around the throne of God this morning but those things aren't seen on this planet anywhere else but in the ecclesia, the called out people of God in the church. The church is not a building, but it's rather a people, a called out people, set apart to make much of Christ as his ambassadors. The church is a spiritual building, not a physical one. That's what we learn in 1 Peter. Let's go there. 1 Peter 2, 5 this morning. Here Peter will teach us, just remind us this morning that we are a spiritual building built by God's love through Christ being manifest on the earth. Verse 5 says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're a, we are a living building that magnifies Jesus, built to bring him praise. It would really be impossible for me to express how important the church is to God because the church, this spiritual building, is built by the blood of Jesus. It's built by his blood and it's created to bring him unending praise. That's why we exist. The church was created to bring Jesus praise forever. Jesus even said that he himself would build an indestructible church, according to Matthew 16. Now, this is meant to encourage you this morning to stimulate love in your heart for God's plan and his purposes in the church. But look with me in Matthew 16 at what Jesus said in verse 15, 16, 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ or the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, this foundational truth that he stated, that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, right? He says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That, that's reason enough to love the church, isn't it? He has guaranteed that we will prevail. In other words, we will persevere. We will continue on doing what God has designed us to do. That is to bring him praise and honor and glory on earth and eventually in heaven. Jesus personally guarantees that the gates of Hades will not prevail against his people, against his body. In other words, Jesus is saying in this statement, in one sense, he will not lose anyone to any enemy at any time. He will not lose any of those that he died for. The body of Christ is so indestructible that we know according to Scripture that the names of those who are in the body of Christ are already written down, and they were written down before the foundation of the world. That's how indestructible God's plan is, and God's people are. Revelation 13 states this. Revelation 13, 8, and then 17, 8. 13, 8 says this, speaking of the end here, speaking of the, the influence of the the beast that is to come. He says this, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it, the beast. Everyone, he says that is basically, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. Now that's astounding, folks. If you don't love the church for any other reason, you better love the church for this reason. If you're in it, your name was placed there before the foundation of the world, and he chose you to be in it. And if God chooses you to be in his church, he's never going to let you go. He's going to accomplish his perfect and sovereign will through you who are the body of Christ. Your names were pinned by the sovereign hand of God, written in the blood of Christ, if you will, before the foundation of the world. No one's going to erase that. Nothing's going to change that. Look what it says in 17.8. It just reiterates the same statement, basically. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. Again, these names are written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. That means the church is going to be indestructibly protected by God's sovereign will throughout even ages of persecution, even coming tribulation. Christ is guaranteeing that nothing will prevail against his people. He will not lose any of those that he died for. All those that Christ died for, saints, understand this. All those, every person that Jesus died for will persevere on earth until Christ brings them home to glory. Think about that. There are times in your life where you don't feel like you're going to persevere. 
or you feel like you're a failure as a Christian. But understand this, if you are chosen by God's sovereign grace and the blood of Christ has atoned for your sins, you will persevere on earth as a Christian. You will persevere in faith, trusting in what he has promised because your purpose is to go to heaven to give him eternal praise. God's purpose for his people will be accomplished. And that is one reason you should love the church. If you're in the church, understand that God will keep you, not just here on earth, but throughout eternity. He'll never lose those that Christ died for. They will all enter into his joy one day. That's a comfort for us. The church is a living, breathing gift from God to us to strengthen the weary, to remind us of God's purposes, to unite us, to do his will. That's why you should love the church. God's word also teaches us, number two, that we should love the church because the church is the evidence of God's power on the earth. Think about this. Think about your life before Christ. You were defiled. You were depraved. And you loved those two things, your defilement and your depravity. You pursued them with all your heart, strength, mind, and being. And then something radical happened to you. Something that you can't explain apart from God's grace. The power of God showed up in your life. God intervened. God stopped you on the tracks and said, you're mine. You're on the precipice of hell. And he says, come back. He brought you to himself. And and the evidence of that is he placed you in a body. The church is the evidence of God's sovereignty here on a defiled planet. He reigns over the wicked and he transforms us by his grace. Nothing, nothing can stand in God's way when he decides he will save his people from their sins. He will evidence that through the transformation that he gives us in Christ. He will sovereignly draw us to himself through Christ. According to John 6, John 6, 37. Here's a reason you should rejoice and love the fact that God has placed you in the church through this, this testimony that Christ gives here of God's sovereign power on the earth that will be seen in those who come to him. In 6, 37. Jesus says this, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Now, there are people whose names are written down before the foundation of the world. And those people are given by God the Father to God the Son. And Jesus says, every single one that's given to me, I will never lose them. I will never lose them because God has given them to me as a love gift to testify to his power on the earth, to show forth his glory by taking these clay pots, and transforming them into trophies of his grace. Verse 44 goes on to say this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
And I'll raise him up on the last day. This passage is confirming that God's sovereign grace is what brought us into the church. God will sovereignly draw his people through the magnet of the cross. He'll draw his people. He'll bring them in. He'll secure all those that he has given to Christ so that he can display his greatness on the earth through the church. The church is the evidence of God's sovereign power over rebels on the earth. Just think about what Jesus is saying here. Every single person he dies for, he says this, every single person that I die for, he's saying, will be born again. They will be given the gift of faith. They will be forgiven. They will be declared righteous by God's grace, by God drawing them to me, to the magnet of the cross, to see that my gift, my life was given. My life was given for these that he has given to me to display his glory. That's amazing because we're in that number. Isn't that amazing? You're, you're, you're in this number. You're in this passage, verse 44. You came to him because the Father drew you. That's humbling. That's amazing. But it's also a display of God's greatness. Because we would not come apart from this. We were rebels. Angry with God. Loving our sin. Shaking our fist at God until God opened our hand to receive the gift. He brought us to our salvation to display his greatness on the earth. I think that's important to remember. We're not obviously saved to enter directly into heaven. We're saved to magnify Christ's glory and God's sovereignty on the earth. Think about that. You are a living testimony of God's sovereignty. The one who sustains all things, created all things, has saved you and made you his, his vessel, his instrument of glory on the earth. And he is protecting you because in protecting you, he's protecting his own glory. He's displaying to the world, look what I can do to the defiled. That, that transforming work in our lives, is the evidence of God's sovereign power here on this planet. And that being the case, thirdly, we should also love the church because that transformation that we've received was costly. We love the church because it is the most valuable gift on the earth. Think about this for a second. Ask yourselves this question for a second. How valuable is the church to me? Better yet, ask yourself this question. How valuable is the church to God? Have you ever thought about it? Think about the church's value this way. Only God could afford to purchase her. Her price was the suffering and cursing of the Lord Jesus on the cross in our place. According to 1 Peter 1.18. 1 Peter 1.18 and 19. says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or 
spot. That was the price that God paid to give us the gift of eternal life, to place us in the body of Christ. The church was purchased with the priceless blood of Jesus, Peter says. Here's a voice from the past that helps us to understand that a little bit. Listen to how Charles Haddon Spurgeon put it. I see that foundation stone laid. Is there singing at the laying of it? No. There is weeping there. The angels gathered round at the laying of this first stone. And look, ye men, and wonder. The angels weep. The harps of heaven are clothed in sackcloth. And no song is heard. They sang together and shouted for joy when the world was made. Why shout they not now? Look ye here and see the reason. That stone is embedded in blood. That cornerstone must lie nowhere else but in its own gore. The vermilion cement drawn from his own sacred veins must imbib it. And there he lies, the first stone of the divine edifice, the church. How could we not love the church after seeing the price that was paid to make us God's own people for his own glory? Fourthly, we should love the church because the church displays the glory of heaven on earth. That's God's design. We don't need to miss this. We need to pay attention to this. The church displays the glory of heaven on earth. Look with me at Revelation. Revelation 5.6. Revelation 5.6 tells us that Jesus' work and worth is magnified in heaven. And therefore, as we think about this, therefore, if it's magnified in heaven, we should reveal that worth and that work here on earth in our gathering, in our fellowship. Right? If this is what's happening in heaven, if this is what the saints do in heaven, shouldn't the saints on earth be doing likewise? Because of what Christ did to purchase us, what Christ did to make us his own, what God did in drawing us to Christ to see the glory of the cross and see the forgiveness of our sins through his sacrifice, shouldn't we rejoice like the saints in heaven? Look what it says in 5, 6. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. In other words, he sees the resurrected Christ who still bears the marks of our curse. He's the only one in heaven, saints. He is the only one in heaven that will bear the marks of man's sin forever. You and I won't because of Christ. That's why he looks like a lamb that was slain. He still bears our scars. He goes on to describe his glory by saying, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, those are these angelic beings, And the 24 elders fell down, this is bowing, this is falling before him in worship, fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And here's what they did. 
Here's what's going on in heaven. This is what we have to look forward to in the future. They sing about the cross. Same cross we cling to right now here on earth. They sing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. I get excited every time I read that passage. Every time I read that passage. This is what we have to look forward to in heaven, saints. This is the song of the redeemed. And if it's the song of the redeemed in heaven, it should certainly be the song of the redeemed here on earth, should it not? Not just the song, it should be the, the attitude of the heart here on earth. Our worship here on earth should be as reverent as that that is in heaven. Notice some things about this. There is no casual worship in heaven. It's not stoic either. It's not non-emotional. It's very emotional. Worthy is the Lamb. Myriads and myriads of angels are just responding to the glory of Christ's sacrifice. They didn't even receive the blessing of it directly. We did. But they're rejoicing in what He has done to ransom these people from their sins. There's emotion in it. It's not stoic. It's, It's full of Passion, but it's not casual. Worship should not be casual. This is what we are doing this morning is a very sacred thing. God is speaking to us through His Word. He is present in this building with us, the true spiritual building of Christ. Worship is is not to be casually carried out. Notice this in, in this passage the attitude is that of humility. Even though these are redeemed people, they're bowing, they're falling before Jesus. They're saved as saved can be. But look at their attitude, folks. When they come to worship, they're humbled at the presence of Christ, at the reality of their forgiveness being manifest to them through the cross, through the one who was slain on their behalf. It's not just their attitude, though. Even their tongues are shaped by the glory of Christ as they worship. The words are testifying to the work and the worth of Christ. They're magnifying the weightiness of the Lord Jesus through their joy and their expression and through their reverence. The church is to display this kind of glory here on the earth. When we worship, when we gather, this corporate gathering, when we come together on the Lord's Day, saints, we are to be doing what they're doing there in heaven right now. 
with the same attitude, with the same thoughtfulness, with the same reverence in our hearts. And I'm not saying we don't, but I'm saying we can, ex- we can still excel at this, can we not? Can we not look at our hearts when we come here on Sunday morning and examine the reality and say, I'm just going through the motions and this is wrong. I'm just just flippantly going and sitting and listening and I'm not really participating. And this is wrong. Oh, God, I'm in your presence. Please forgive me. Please cause my eyes to see your glory in the cross. That's that's what we need, church. This is eye-opening when you look into heaven, isn't it? There should not be this big distinction between what's going on in heaven and what's going on on the earth in the church. We're all united by the same blood, by the same sacrifice. So our worship on Sunday should reflect this. We should reflect in our attitudes and in our words and in our actions. We should reflect the worth and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ who redeemed us from our sins. And my question is, if we're not doing that, can we really say we love Jesus? Do we really love him if we don't consider his worthiness, his weightiness, and his work of grace that saves us? This is the one that every man and woman child will one day bow before. Every knee on the planet will bow. Every tongue on the planet that's ever been on the planet will confess to the glory of God the Father, the Sovereign One, to His glory that Jesus Christ is Lord, Master. And if, if Every tongue will do that in the future. The church should be doing it now when we gather. We need to remember this. This is where God wants his glory to be manifest on the planet. This is an honor. But it's also a very, it's a very, very humbling truth. And we rely on God's grace to make this manifest in us. But we need to remember this. When we gather And we profess that we're gathering here in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Master, Savior, Anointed One. When we gather in His name, we are saying we're gathering to honor Him. When we gather in the Lord Jesus' name, that's what we're doing. That's what we're confessing to the world around us. And I understand this. When we do this, it's not as if Jesus is at a distance watching us when we gather in the lord jesus's name he is here with us he is present and if if you imagine yourself with the saints there in revelation 5 seeing jesus the lamb that was slain bearing the marks of your sin how will you respond to him in heaven with humble contrition praise adoration why is that not what we do here on earth And why is it that if we do that even on earth, why is it that we are so prone to wander from that from time to time when we gather with the saints each week? I think my answer for that is I allow allow the world to influence my heart. I have 
unbelief in my flesh that says what's most important at this moment is my satisfaction, my feelings, my desires. And I am forgetting that what God says is most satisfying is in the future, but also present in Christ when we gather to grow together in the truth. My desires need to be mortified. Christ needs to be magnified. That means I need to spend some time seriously preparing my heart for the Lord's day of worship on Sunday. That means my Saturday evening, afternoon, I need to be in prayer. I need to be in the word. I need to be thinking through how I can serve others when we come together on the Lord's day. I need to be thinking about God's purpose in displaying his glory to the church rather than just showing up and going through the ritual on Sunday morning. I think if we do that, reverence will follow us when we come into a building and gather in Christ's name to worship him. I think reverence should follow us, according to Hebrews 12, 28. Let me just read this to you. It says, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. If we consider who he is, when we gather in his name, we will come humbly, reverently, giving him praise and adoration and thanksgiving. And I think that's manifest in tangible ways. I think when we come together, if we're thinking about these things, if we're amazed by this lamb that was slain for us, I think if that's happening, I think when you come in here to worship and pray to Jesus, there will be a holy hush in our hearts, in our attitudes. We'll be thinking about what we're doing seriously. There'll be a reverence. There's, it's not being stoic again. I'm just simply saying the reality of knowing that you're coming before the holy God in praise and adoration. When you hear his word, when you sing these songs, this should cause a holy hush to fall over our hearts. We should be amazed. We're entering to God's presence through these things that we're doing this morning. I need to put everything else out. I need to focus on why I am here. How did I, how did I get here? Who brought me here? What did it cost to bring me here? What's he going to do with me here? He's going to magnify his greatness through our transformation, through our sanctification, through our worship. As we worship, we stimulate our hearts and we begin to think about what is really, really valuable. What is our treasure? What is most important? As we do that, I think that we'll be filled with not just a, a holy hush in our attitude when we come in here to pray, when we come in here to read, and come in here to think. We'll also have a holy joy as we sing praises with our mouth. And the praises will be for God, not to impress someone beside us. The praises will be toward God, not toward the song leaders. There'll be a holy joy in our hearts that come out of our mouth. What does the Bible teach us? Out of the, of the heart, what? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What fills your heart before you sing on Sunday mornings? What fills your mind before you contemplate worship? It will come out of your mouth. It will come out in your conversations. It will come out in your singing. And if you're filled with what's true, what is right, you'll be filled with awe at knowing that God is speaking to his people in a special way when you hear preaching. When the word of God is rightly divided, when the word of God is rightly explained, God's speaking. 
He's not speaking in generalities. He's speaking to local congregations. When the word of God is handled accurately, when the word of God is expounded, exegeted, God is speaking to change us. He is speaking to transform us. He is speaking to cleanse us. And we should be filled with holy awe at that reality. People all the time want to hear God speak. They want to hear God's voice. Listen, the voice of God is written in the word of God. When it's rightly explained, you hear God speak. You need no other word, no other revelation. Be amazed at what you have. We can't even live up to what we have. Don't look for anything else. There's more here than we can ever take in in a lifetime. Rejoice in it, feed on it, treasure it. We need to do that. We need to have this holy hush, this holy joy, this holy awe when we gather to worship as God's people on the earth. But understand that that doesn't happen by accident. That has to be intentional. These attitudes are developed by by contemplating the truth, by looking to the cross, looking at what it cost Jesus to create his church. And sometimes I know that we lose sight of this. I know sometimes we lose sight of how sacred and how precious it is to gather in Christ's name as a local church. Pray that that doesn't become our testimony, though. Pray that that's an issue we can repent of and turn from and pursue what God wills. Pray that we'll develop heavenly and holy fellowship that will exalt Christ here on the earth. That's what I'm wanting to convey to you this morning. Christ's exaltation on earth and in heaven is God's will for his church, both in heaven and on earth. But it has to be something that we on earth have to cultivate. We have to develop. We're we're not blessed in the same sense that the saints are in heaven, where they are without sin. We still are strapped to this body of death that drags us down, that pulls our attentions away from what is most valuable. And so we have to develop Really, this attitude of holy worship, reverential worship. And I think that one way in which we need to do this is, I think, a very practical way. We need to learn to cultivate holy fellowship. Holy fellowship. What I mean by holy is this, sacred fellowship. Sacred fellowship. This is, this is where your, your love for Christ and his church becomes very practical. If you want to be a, a worshipful saint in a local church, I think it must It must be connected to holy fellowship when you gather with those who are bought with the blood of Christ here locally. But again, holy fellowship isn't something that happens by accident. It has to be pursued. It's developed out of pure intentions that are washed in the word. And it's also cultivated by practical actions that we're responsible to pursue. So by way of application... I want to help you cultivate a greater love for God's gift of the church by giving you some real practical ways to develop holy fellowship here on earth. First off, according to Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, 32. First off, we can develop holy fellowship by, number one, loving one another personally. Loving one another personally. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We can develop 
holy love in our fellowship if we do this. If we, we can develop holy love in our fellowship if we do what Paul says here in this passage. If we can develop this sort of attitude of the heart, being grateful to God for placing us in this church so much so that we're kind to one another. We go out of our way to help one another. We're tender-hearted. We're, we're considerate of the needs of others in our church. We're also forgiving when others hurt us in the church. If we, if we do this, we'll cultivate a holy fellowship in this church. We'll cultivate this kind of loving fellowship that is magnifying the love of Christ in the church. And that's what Jesus said the world would, would see when, when they see believers. They would see their love for one another. And it's the love of Christ magnified through us. Now, let me, let me explain this to you, though. This kind, of, this kind of personal loving fellowship that I'm mentioning here, this kind of fellowship is, is one that requires personal interaction. This is the kind of fellowship that, that requires us cultivating a closer relationship with one another here. So my question is this morning, do you want... Holy fellowship so you can worship God in a holy manner when you're gathered by, by cultivating this love for one another personally. Do you want that? And I think the answer would be yes. But my other question is this. Are you doing that? Or just how bad do you want this? Do you really want to magnify Jesus by sharing his love with others in the local church on a personal, intimate level, not just on a handshake on Sunday mornings? Let me suggest how you can begin that process. I think you can begin by simply calling one another. Not just on Sundays, but calling or meeting with one another regularly to pray for one another, to care for one another. Try setting aside time with someone in the church, someone that you can meet with weekly so you can discuss the Sunday sermon, not the the preacher, but the Sunday sermon, okay? Set aside time to discuss the sermon that you've just heard together corporately. And, and in that, you can start to develop a sort of personal accountability with one another and start, start caring for one another in a very tangible way, calling each other, visiting one another, speaking to one another after the service more than five minutes so that you can help them grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ by sharing his love with them on a personal level. Now, every church in the world needs to work at this. This is not just a sovereign grace issue here. This is an issue every church needs to develop because we're people who are drawn away to selfishness. And here we need to put aside ourselves and pursue God's purposes. Secondly, we can develop holy fellowship by growing together spiritually. Listen, we, we develop holy growth in our fellowship by, by gathering together regularly. We, we, we develop this spiritual growth when we come together on a regular basis to receive instructions, to be taught spiritually the truth of God's word. We'll begin to grow in our fellowship and we'll begin to grow together as one in unity, in the unity of the faith. And that kind of fellowship encourages spiritual accountability. It actually causes us to provoke one another on or to prod one another on to good works. That's why we gather on a regular basis. And you can develop this by 
faithfully being here. That's where it begins. Being here consistently. Not just so that we can count you as a number, but being here so that you can serve one another. So that we can rely on one another. We, we want to grow together. We want to help those who are weary. And it's hard to do that if you're not here to care for them practically. We need to be here so that we can stir up one another to love and good works, as Hebrews 10 says. If you're here doing that, I think that it will progress outside of this Sunday morning meeting, this corporate gathering. It'll progress and move into your personal life where you can gather together and share your personal struggles and provoke or prod one another on to good works when we're struggling. I think that we need that kind of cultivation of spiritual growth in a local church so that we can come together on Sunday with one voice glorifying God in our praises because we are united in our hearts. Thirdly, we can develop holy fellowship by sharing our lives and our gifts together practically. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks, oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If we want to worship God in a holy manner, Peter is even saying that 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 is connected to us caring for one another in a holy manner, in a sacred way. Caring for one another, using our gifts together to mutually mutually magnify Christ as one body. We need to, to develop this kind of holy strength in our fellowship by seeking to share our spiritual gifts with one another, seeking to share our resources and our skills with one another. That's what magnifies the work of Christ. That testifies that we're a body, united, relying on one another, strengthened by one another, rejoicing together. And and this is how you can develop this, okay? First, encourage those that you know in the body that have spiritual gifts. If you don't know what their gifts are, you need to spend time with them until you do. You need to help them. Maybe they don't know their gift. Maybe they don't see it. You can help them identify it. And once you identify it, you need to encourage them to use it for the good of this local church family. And on the other side of that, if you do have a spiritual gift because you are a believer, then step up and ask how you can use it in the church. We'd be glad to help you cultivate that, work in that, use your gifts, use your talents, use your skills for the glory of God and for the good of the church. These are practical things, but these things require an intimate kind of fellowship, one that causes us to share what we have with one another. And also, let me add this, it causes you to rejoice over others who have greater gifts than what you perceive yourself to have. A great sign of humility and Christ-likeness is when you can see others excel you in the same gift and you can rejoice in it because they stepped up, because they're willing to step out, because that 
is magnifying Christ's love for his church. It's building us up together. It's being able to express his power through the gifting of his people. Now, fourthly, lastly, you can develop holy fellowship by applying what Ephesians 4.29 says. 4.29, you can develop holy fellowship by building up one another biblically. Look what it says here. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. We can develop a holy fellowship if we listen to what Paul says there. We are called to build up, not tear down one another in the church. We develop holy edification in our fellowship by being Christ-like in our conduct and in our speech. We need to avoid idle talk, avoid gossip, avoid backbiting. Don't let slander take root in your heart. Instead, Paul tells us that we need to use our tongues not to tear down, but to build up. Now, building up is not you know, pumping up someone's self-esteem. That has nothing to do with it. Actually, self-esteem is considered a sin in the Bible, so that's certainly not what we're called to do. Edifying means to build up based on what God says about what they're called to do, what you're called to do, what you're empowered to do. So we're supposed to use our tongues to do that, to edify, not to criticize, not to run down. And listen, if you see problems in someone else, you need to be going to that person and saying, I'm willing to help you with it, not talk about it to someone else. If if you see problems in general in any church, you need to become part of the solution, not just talking about the problems. We need to encourage with our mouths. We need to use our mouths to, to bring the word of God to those who are weak, those that we perceive are having a hard time. We don't need to criticize them. We need to build them up in the truth. We need to show them maybe the error of their ways, maybe point them to the glorious truth about God's forgiveness and grace. We need to point out the evidence of God's grace in their life, even though they feel like there's nothing there. We need to bear their burdens. We need to magnify Christ's love. These are the things that we need to do in order to have holy fellowship in the church. You are the church, the living, breathing body of Christ, magnifying him on the earth. And when we come together, we don't want any kind of disunity. We don't want any kind of separation. We want intimacy. We want this kind of Christ-like love to flow out of us so that when we come before him, we can worship him with a clear conscience. We can worship him with joy in our hearts. Because we're not just thinking about how to do this. We're doing these things. Holy fellowship is connected to holy worship. And that's, that's my word to you this morning. Is just think about that. Think, think about how connected worship is to fellowship. What do we do in heaven? We gather with every tribe and tongue and nation. United by the blood of Christ. To worship our living Savior. The same thing we do here on Sunday mornings. Let's give him thanks for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Christ. Jesus, we thank you for your willing sacrifice. It is through your work and through the illumination of the Holy Spirit that we are brought into your body, the church. 
We, we want to recognize and honor you in this church as we, as we see the needs of those around us and we respond to them biblically, as we cultivate holy fellowship. Lord, I pray that it would just be magnifying your greatness, your love, your grace. And through that, our fellowship becomes an act of worship. We pray that you would help us to pursue this, to repent in areas in which we need to repent, and to rejoice in areas where you have overcome and where you are at work. Let us give you all the praise for all that happens here in our church family. And let us excel still more in our love for the church. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.